0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I've been on holiday for two Sundays, so you always got to be careful if preachers been on holiday. I don't know. I do sound like Joe Cocker today. I apologize for that. I blame the Russian guy who sat on the plane behind me and coughed a lot. And um, I chatted to him. I asked him if I could pray for him because I thought maybe if I could get healed on the plane. I wouldn't catch it. I thought even sleeping under blankets for six hours would protect me. But the shield wasn't strong enough. So um, it's all good. And it is amazing to be back. And we are at Christmas, if you didn't notice. There's fancy dangling things that I used to make as a kid. But someone spent a lot of time making a lot of them. This time there are jingle bells happening. My kids have been singing Christmas carols. They've been singing, Mary, did you know? Where's Bunty? My kids have been singing, Mary, did you know? All week. I think Mary knows by now. I I know. But but if Mary doesn't know by now, then I I don't know. Um, I'm I'm sure Mary knows by now. Um, It has been a good week. One thing, just with Christmas coming at us and... um, Uh, I do want to encourage us. We are a church of invitation. I love the fact we met so many visitors at, um, at our city congregation. Maybe you don't know, but we had just under 300 people at the worship night on Wednesday night in the city. And many, many of them saw adverts, were invited by people, just people looking for family, friends, community, and seeking Jesus. And it was just so amazing to see. So I want to encourage us. As we move towards Christmas, we have got Christmas Eve. We have your favorite ginger preaching on Christmas Eve. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you haven't been around long enough, but that's Gabriel. And he'll be preaching Christmas Eve here, and I'll be preaching on Christmas Day. So it's going to be an amazing weekend. But I really want to throw us towards inviting family, inviting friends, sending that message. You're vacillating about sending. Just send it. Um, it might be the one message that changes someone's life forever as they encounter the love of the King. Don't miss these opportunities. Um, Christmas really is a special time. People open their hearts, and they're looking for something. They're looking for Jesus. So it is wonderful to be back. Um, I, Like I said, I've been away for two weeks. Sorry, this is how it's going to sound for a few minutes. Are everyone okay? Somebody like, ah. Oh. If you put your finger in here, I'll forgive you just this Sunday. Deep and husky, apparently. But um, I went away, and um, I went away with six mates, and one of my friends, I'm not going to tell you who, but I'm just going to ask you to keep buying clothes from Mr. Price, but one of my friends um, paid for me to go away with him skiing for eight days, and I ended up going away with five amazing mates. Maybe you could put that picture up just to give you some context, and um, that mountain in the, in the back, there's the highest point in Italy, it's the Matterhorn Mountain, it's over 4,000 meters high. And the peak we were on when this photo was taken was about 3,900 meters high. Just a privilege. But actually, probably the greatest privilege is I did the maths. And I've known these five gentlemen cumulatively for about 114 years. And I'm not that old. So let me explain to you and give you context. Because I want to give something of an appetite. We sat around meals and we told stories from 20 years ago of what God did 20 years ago. Of how God healed that person. Do you remember when that person came to life group? Do you remember when we as a church went to the beachfront and did this together? Do you remember when you didn't have a wife, a job, or anything and we prayed for you on the beachfront? These are the special moments of doing life together. These are why we call people to community. It's this. Maybe it won't all end up on the top of a mountain. in Italy. I hope it does for you. For me it did. But um, the, guy on, the guy on the right, let me start with him. His name is Darryl Jorgensen. He, uh, I met him. He got saved when I was about 21 years old. He was a radical wild man, famous in sporting arenas. And he was the one who introduced me to doozy canoe paddling. I ended up doing my first two doozies with him. And the reason he did it with me is because he wanted someone who wouldn't influence him badly. So he said, well, you come because my other partners all influenced me badly. So he taught me how to paddle, and I hopefully influenced him well. But I've now done 15 doozies because of him. Because a man who was five, six years older, had no interest in a young 20-year-old when he was 27 and taking over the world, invested his life into me. And now we get to share moments like this. The guy on his left is my mate, Mark Sturton. He was my best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. He got saved in our life group and went on a journey of encountering Jesus in a radical, radical way. I was at his wife's 21st birthday when he sang a song. It was okay. I reminded him of that. Um, but we have history of moments in God and fighting for things in God, crying out for children together, crying out for God to break in. I was there when his dad fell and, and day after day, every day in a hospital, praying with his dad and navigating those traumas. You can't replace the moments. I'm the blue smurf over there. Then there's another guy. I've told the story many times in the church about a man who was my life group leader named Rick Thompson. Who one night when I was visiting my girlfriend very late at night and my phone rang. You heard the story? At one in the morning I looked at it, it was Rick Thompson, and he said, Where are you? And I said, And it's one of those moments, do you lie? Do you tell the truth? And I told the truth. I said, I'm at Candace House. He said, Go home. Now maybe there's no context to the story, but maybe that phone call saved something massive. But that was my life group leader. When I was fifteen years old, he taught me Jesus. He he took me to the Bible. He showed me generosity when my parents were liquidated. He, he looked after me like an older brother that I never had. Next to him is Sean Sturton, Mark's brother, who I met through Mark and worked with him for many, many years in the marketplace, also uh, being in church with him. And the mate on the left was junior to me at high school, five years younger than me at high school, ended up doing church together, doing life together, we're in boarding school together. But all together, those five guys got 114 years of relationship together. And I'm not using it to boast at all. I'm using it to encourage you to invest in relationships. Because I've I've been at all these men's weddings. I've been there at the lowest moments of their lives. When wives have had miscarriages. When trauma has come. When parents have passed away. We've navigated those together. But the one thing that's always held us is Jesus. And make sure you have friendships that have Jesus at the center. Make sure you have friendships that can be frivolously crazy fun on mountaintops, but can also navigate trauma with Jesus at the center. Make sure. Because I'm telling you, at Christmas time, that's when it counts. It's when we get lonely, when we travel. Make sure you've got people you can do life with. And this is a crazy adventure. I never thought, I've never skied before. I've never been to Italy before. I've never done any of those things before. But I, that wasn't why I got into it. I got into it because I fell in love with a king who put people in my life said, I'm going to make strangers brothers. And um, I'm so grateful to this. I, got it. I took another quick photo to give you context of how beautiful it was there. Maybe um, this was standing on top of the glacier. I was just amazed by God's creativity, his kindness to me, his faithfulness. Um, I, I literally didn't pay a cent for the trip. Not, nothing. Everything was paid for just by the generosity of friends who love us and care for us. But you can only imagine the stories that happen when six boys go on tour. I was getting one or two messages from one or two of you who are worried. Don't worry. It was fine. It's like, I've watched those movies. It's not one of those. It wasn't that. We, um, we met an English guy who arrived there the same day we did. He had no friends. It was his 38th birthday, and he just joined us from day one. He sat at our table every meal. Um, He joined us. It was quite an amazing thing. And um, it was amazing because I introduced myself as Mark. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, I'm a plasterer. So for three days, he thought I was a plasterer who moved from Durban to Cape Town to to plaster walls. He only worked out on day four, I'm a pastor, because he's never met one of those. And then he really struggled to believe I was a pastor after he'd met me for three days. So it was all a very confusing picture. But it was quite an amazing thing because we just took him in. And we said, well, you haven't got friends. Just come with us. And he joined us. And on day five, he sat with one of the guys. And he started telling about a story. And we knew some things had happened. There'd been a divorce. There'd been separation from family. There'd been chaos. We'd heard the phone calls at the table. We knew there was stuff going on until he confessed to one of the guys that actually he came on the trip and um, he'd written a letter because he was happy to not go home from the mountains. He was happy that if it ended in the mountains, that was the end of his life. But engaging this group of friends who loved this man named Jesus, who he knew nothing about, who could laugh a lot, who brought him in, gave him hope that there could be a more great story for him. And it's been such an amazing just to see. But navigating these things and... um, Giving them hope, navigating those things. I, I want to tell you, I lived in a constant state of exhilaration and absolute fear. If you've never been skiing, it's very hard to explain to South Africans. Because we don't get snow, we don't get ice, we don't get mountains. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a picture because the last two days, there were three novices and three experienced guys. Sorry, this does relate to my preach, I promise. And... Um, I was one of the novices, never skied before. But by day four, after three days in ski school, I thought, I've learned enough, surely. So I said to my mate, who's very experienced, said, do you think I know enough? He said, oh, of course. And so we went. We just started taking ski lifts. So one one ski lift, we took seven to get to the point. One was 40 minutes long. We went 3,900 meters high. And then he says, we're going from here. Which the first slope was fine. It's totally deceiving. you just shh, shh, all graceful. This is easy. Then we took another one. And eventually I found out we were actually going to Switzerland. We needed to get there because there's a mountain they hadn't done. And so I'm up for this. I love views. I love adventures. I want to get to the end. I'm like, I get frustrated with people. Let me just bring you into the biggest fight my wife and I ever had. It was on honeymoon. When I hired a jet ski because I wanted to go to an island. I thought it was a great idea. Didn't realize my wife didn't like speeds or jet skis. And by the time she was finished digging her nails through the life jacket, blood was pouring out of my chest. Only for me to allow her to drive back. And she was crying. going, uh, uh." We live in different worlds when it comes to fear, adventure, and getting to the island on the other side. My mate said, if we get to this mountain, you can see France. You can see this. I'm like, i got to get to the mountain. What I didn't know was the only way down from that mountain is a ridiculously crazy slope of 14 kilometers long. That's it. And as we traversed the last section of the mountain in a ski slope, you could see the slope, which wasn't helpful. Was people were dying everywhere. It was like a massacre. They were just everywhere. I'm like, and my, and my mate who's skied seven or eight times said, leans over to me on the ski lift and says, I'm so sorry, <laughs> but like very seriously. I'm like, why? He says, no, this, I shouldn't have brought you here. <laughs> so here's me. We get to the top. We let everyone else go. I think surely there's someone in this whole place who has the wisdom and experience to tell me you shouldn't do this. I even stalled. I went to the bathroom, said, guys, i got to go to the bathroom just to find that someone with wisdom would come up and say, you shouldn't do this. That person never arrived. So now it's my three mates who experience my other two mates who are novices like me down in the safe slopes having fun drinking coffee. I'm at the top of a mountain about to throw myself off. I am petrified. Petrified. My knees are shaking and I'm not that guy. I jump. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the stupid guy. I was always the smallest. I ran at the biggest guy. I'll jump off a roof to make my mates laugh to concuss myself on my own knees. I'm that guy. I, I don't back down, but I'm standing on the mountain going, this is ridiculous. It's straight down, left like this, and on the side is a mountain drop. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm like, how do they let people do this, crazy Swiss people? And, um, and, and uh, so I went slowly, shh, shh, get around the first corner. As I get around the first corner, there's a lady who I knew from the ski school because she was experienced, weeping. She's in the corner weeping with her mother. I'm like, this is not encouraging me. This is not helping. A fear has gripped me. All I want to do is survive. I can't go back up. I can only go down. My mates are looking at me like this, just guilt all over their faces. But now you keep moving forward. By the end of it, it was amazing. In the process, it was unbelievably scary. Uh, I lived constantly fearful don't listen to the story, Cans, because one day we'll go skiing. I like, I'm never going skiing, uh, <laughs> and I don't trust you. And um, but I lived in this constant state of fear, and and like this is imminent death is around the corner. But why did I keep moving forward? I got to the bottom. I'm sitting at the bottom. I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm sitting at the bottom. Why did I do this? And I realized because I was sitting. I'd skied from a mountain top into the middle of a town called Zemat, which looks like something out of a movie. It just as ridiculous. And um, I looked up. I thought, we did that. We got here. I shared this moment with my mates. I would do it all again. But I had to overcome some fears to get here. I, I had to overcome the lady crying, the fact that my skill level really wasn't up to scratch, the fact that um, my mates were apologetic, the fact that fear was gripping me. Why? Because there was a world-class view at the bottom that if I didn't get there, I might never have known was even possible. I just wouldn't have known. Uh, I mean, how often do you go to Switzerland in, for a day, like in a ski lift? It's not what you do. It, it, and, and I had one opportunity for the first time in my life at 41 years old with some of my best mates who have navigated the highs and lows of life to do that. I realized the gospel's a lot like that. As we come to Christmas, the gospel is a lot like that. We get this invitation to go on an unbelievable journey. We have the best counsel of the Spirit of God leading us on these treacherous slopes. We have a father constantly. I watch these fathers navigating with their little kids down these mountains. I'm going, I would never, ever bring my wild savages here. Like not not my kids. One at a time with a bungee cord, maybe, but not all three. And I'm watching these fathers and mothers navigate the mountains with their kids. But there's a father watching over us in this gospel journey of life. There's Jesus who's paid the price for everything. Everything, he's paid the price. Every way to get there, every opportunity, even death, he's paid the price. Fall of the cliff, he's paid that price for you. Why? Why? Because on the other side of navigating that gospel journey, there's a vista and a view you never thought was possible. There's experience of his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his touch, his tenderness in our lives. You never thought was possible. You just never thought it was possible. One of my friends has had a terribly tough time in his marriage for the last four years. We got to sit and talk about his marriage. And then talk about Jesus. And in the midst of a tough marriage, there's Jesus. And because there's Jesus, there's hope. And even though the slopes seem treacherous, because Jesus is there, there's hope. Outside of Jesus, that marriage would be done. In Jesus, that marriage is a future and a hope because of who Jesus is. This is the gospel story. I want to read Isaiah 9. I'm not preaching it, but I just love it. will accomplish this. Jesus is a king. The problem with the Christmas story for many is they leave him in a manger, a little baby, meek and mild. No, that baby is full of power, full of might. The king of kings seated on the throne with all authority, all power, all dominion in the palm of his hands. And he declares and it is done. And as we come to Christmas, uh, there is this that I was just reading the Christmas narratives thinking about what to preach in this series. I want to preach a very, very simple preach. As I look at the narratives, I want to look at four quick characters who you all know, and Jesus and God says the same thing to them. This, Christmas for me, do not fear. Do not fear. Cesar, broken into this week. People in your home, do not fear anxiety is not your story i want to tell you four characters you probably know about but the same truth it gets shouted to each of them and i believe at christmas it gets shouted at each of us to us into our hearts that defaults sometimes to standing on a mountaintops that people go down all day but sometimes our own self-justification i really shouldn't do this i'm not that skilled meanwhile half an hour before you were boasting about how good you were in three days not a true story hypothetical scenario Zechariah, the father of John. I want to speak about do not fear against the fear of invisibility. Maybe the concern in your heart right now, end of a year, maybe you think no one sees, maybe you think no one hears. This is Zechariah. says this in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. In the time of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And when the time of burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. What's the angel saying? Saying, Don't be afraid. He's not saying, Don't be afraid of me. I believe he's saying, don't be afraid that your prayers, Zechariah, who is old in age and your wife is unable to bear a son, you're in the presence of the almighty God and he hears your prayers. You know, it's an amazing thing. This couple were older in life and they had no kids. And this is a faithful man. This is an upright man. This is a priest of God. who sacrificed his life to serve the living God. But in that time to be childless, was both economically and socially disastrous. Economically, if you didn't have children, it meant you had no inheritance. You had no future. You had no retirement plan. Socially, if you didn't have children, it often meant the assumption, because they didn't have the medicine that we have today, well, your wife cannot have kids, so obviously you're allowed to divorce your wife. And you would divorce your wife, bring shame upon her, leave her behind and go get another wife so you get another kid. But Zechariah had chosen never to do that. Zechariah had gone against social norms. He had taken the shame upon himself and said, I'll bear that shame and I'll keep worshiping God in his presence. I'll keep pursuing God and I'll keep trusting God. It's an amazing thing. He says, by lots were drawn. By lots. They would draw lots. And Craig Keener was doing a study. He's a theologian. He says, there were perhaps 18,000 of these priests. Which meant if you do the maths, they would serve in their priestly capacity only about two weeks a year. And in their life, they were lucky if they would do what Zechariah was doing only once. That means the odds are that was the one time in his life he got an opportunity to go into this Holy of Holies with a rope around his ankle just in case the glory of God struck him down. In that one moment, God chose that man who had spared his wife from shame. He chose that moment and that man to speak. And not just to speak, but to say, your prayers have been heard. I've seen you. I've always heard you. I've always known. And yes, the journey has been long and the slope has been slippery. But you held the line. You navigated the journey. Do not fear. I hear your prayers. I see. Maybe that's you today. Maybe Christmas is the birth of Jesus and it's about the incarnation of Jesus. And we're told that, that the reason Jesus came, he came because he saw us. He saw our pain. He saw our brokenness. He saw that we had no way to the Father. And he answered it. I want to encourage you today, maybe, maybe it's the end of year. And you're navigating the prayer list you've had for the year. What's been answered and what hasn't. Maybe that job you really thought you were hoping for a promotion just never came. Maybe that breakthrough, maybe that spouse or partner you've been looking for to, to because there's a desire in your life for that spouse. It just happen, hasn't happened, but it's happened for other people. I think maybe Zachariah had given up praying that prayer for kids. But maybe you realize that day, I'm going into the presence of God. Why not one more time? Why not one more time trust God? One more time. I want to call us at Christmas that there's a message to our souls. Do not be afraid. God hears, he sees, and he is able, and he is mighty. I want to jump on to the next person we encounter in the book of Luke. Everyone heard about Mary? Mary, did you know? (laughs) I'll get Bunty to sing it. Luke chapter 1. This is about Mary, and it's the birth of Jesus foretold. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, not our Gabriel. He's not an angel. He's, he's just, I know some of you think he is, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And we know the story. Mary obeys. She said, I will. She trusts. But I was reading that again. Because I always imagine when I, when I see an angel pull into the room and I see the words, do not be afraid. I kind of assume, maybe you do too, that he's saying, don't be afraid of me. I know I'm a scary dude, an angel dude. I don't know about you, but if an angel pulled into the room and he's big and he's got some wings and he's got some technicolor going on, I'd be a little bit like, wow. Maybe he doesn't see me. You go into the corner. You just back up slowly. Do the ostrich. I I don't know. It's an amazing thing. That's not what the Bible says she's afraid of. It's an amazing thing. It says this. Mary... He says, Greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Bible then says Mary was greatly troubled at his words. At his words. What were his words? You are highly favored. I want to tell you, I think most Christians struggle with his words. That you are loved. That you're no longer a slave. That you no longer have to beg for the love of a father, that you no longer have to jump through a million hoops to receive his love. I think many Christians and too many Christians struggle with his words. As Mary struggled, she wasn't struggling with the angel, she wasn't struggling, says, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And I think Mary's sitting there going, Really? Favor with God? Wow. I'm not married yet. I'm betrothed to a carpenter, pretty humble means. I, I, I'm a woman in a society that doesn't recognize or give status to a woman. We can be married and thrown away like nothing. That was the society at the time. Uh, I, I'm not exactly from high status. Uh, not all going well. I'm from a nothing little town, not even a bigger city. There's a plan, but it's not glorious, and there's no husband yet. Really? I'm favored by God? Maybe she's struggling with the words because she's struggling to see what he's talking about. Christmas comes, and we are reminded by the gospel narrative when we look at these people's lives that God speaks his words. Our job is to believe, and because she chose to believe, because she chose not to fear, because she chose to trust the Father in heaven, she gets pulled into the most glorious story this world's ever seen, that the God of heaven would be placed inside a woman's womb, and she carried the King of Kings in her womb. Why? Because she got over a fear. And the more I walk with people, the more I encounter People who've been in church for year after year after year. I see decisions based on fear, not based on the words spoken. In his word. And the words he speaks to our hearts. His rhema word that he speaks clearly. I want to tell you that she had a fear that she wasn't worthy. She wasn't worthy for this journey. She had a fear that she would mess it up. She had a fear that actually who was she to be given this great opportunity. And yet God said, I'm not asking you to wonder whether you are worthy. I am worthy. And because I am worthy, I will do what I want upon your life and in your life. I can imagine her just thinking, surely God isn't really going to do that. Sounds not normal. Sounds weird. People are going to laugh. Surely God said do not fear you are worthy for this task what if we just answered yes to god what if we just closed our eyes at the top of the mountain slopes forgot the woman crying on the corner the dead bodies no they were not dead bodies but we just didn't see that we just saw the end we just saw the end how many more journeys would we have gone on if we had an ability to see the end. How many more routes would we have started? Because I think so often we don't even start, we self justify saying, Well, I'm not even going to start this. I could never make that first turn, let alone get to the bottom, 14 Ks below. So we don't start. Well, I've been hurt in relation before. I'm not going to start that slippery slope. I've been hurt in business before, so I don't want to apply for jobs because I can't take rejection of 300 CVs again. Now these are real things. And that's why I think when we look at Christmas and we see Jesus comes to earth in the form of a baby, he's shouting to my fearful heart, do not be afraid. I'm here and I came and we never left. And the Spirit of God is with us, leading us and guiding us. Do not be afraid. Circumstances be what they may. I want to speak about one more person, a man named Joseph. You heard of Joseph? He's this carpenter who falls in love with a girl named Mary. And he gets this gig in Matthew chapter 1. Because I think his fear is it just didn't make sense. And on the other side of this journey that wouldn't make sense, there would be public scrutiny. What would people think? What would that bring? Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came out. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, it's amazing. And we know the end of the story. Joseph responded. Joseph got over his fears and said, yes, I want to be a part of this story. Yes, I'm going to experience ridicule. Yes, people are going to go, hmm, Jesus' nose doesn't look like yours. I don't know that little towns. Remember, probably 80, 90 people in their town. My wife was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That story doesn't go down well at family dinners. And yet it was God. And this man, Joseph, he rationalized. It. I love that uh, the Bible is so honest. It says, but after he had time, he had considered this. He, he considered this. We sometimes read these Bible characters and go, obviously, Joseph, you say yes. Obviously. But no, the Bible said he considered this. And then God said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. See, this wasn't the plan. I think sometimes we have such a fear that our life might get a bit more complicated. I think maybe for Joseph, one of his fears is that his life might get complicated. His plan was carpentry business, have some kids, get them in the family business, do my time, and then get to the end of that journey in our town. No complicated stories like impregnation from the Holy Spirit and now my son's going to be the king of kings. I mean, it's like that wasn't in his game plan. It was amazing sitting with these five friends of mine and looking at the God factors in our lives. How many things have been good in our life that if we were allowed to choose them, we wouldn't have chosen that path. But now 20 years later, we get to look back. At God's kindness and faithfulness and goodness and abundance in our lives. Just a motley crew of young men who had nothing. Who encountered Jesus and got together. And would have crazy fun, crazy moments of scaling mountains and paddling rivers. And then deep moments of pursuing God and crying out for God to do things in our lives. See, that journey comes with a somewhat sometimes seemingly complicated navigated route like a a slope down a mountain. It's right and it's left and then it's up and then it's down and it's long. and, and, And sometimes there's a black slope you didn't see coming and your insurance didn't cover it. And you have to just carry on. You have to just trust that God has given you the ability to navigate this road. And he's not just given you the ability, he is with you because he came to earth in the form of a human being. He took on our flesh, our limitations, and our smallness to say, do not fear a complicated life. And sometimes people, I don't want relationships in my life. It might get complicated, and we look back 20 years, and we wonder why we don't have friends. I'm being honest. Friendships are complicated. Some of those five guys have hurt me more than anyone. Why? Because I love them. But if you're not going to allow people to come in your life, your life will stay somewhat less complicated. But I promise you it'll be less rich. I promise you the vistas will be less amazing. And I promise you on the end of that journey, there won't be some mountaintop moments with people. You'll be standing there alone like my mate we met from England. And I'm going, how could you come here alone? He said, who else have I got? Who else have I got? And I want this for people. And I'm telling you, I could imagine Joseph's story. I mean, think about it. Father, finding out you're a father for the first time is overwhelming enough. Your life is changing forever. Seriously. There are going to be little critters running around and they're going to eat your stuff and they're going to break your Apple TV remote and they're going to do things. That's also hypothetical. And they, um, they're going to, they need to be fed all the time. And in the early days, it's nappies for days. And then it's no sleep. And then you don't, can't carry on with life. As no, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. And then Joseph, on top of that, but your son is going to be from the Holy Spirit. And he goes, "Ah, oh, I'm not sure I want that complicated life. And he consider, considers it. And then God speaks a word into his soul. Do not be afraid. You know what he got to do in his life on this earth? He got to name the King of Kings, his son, Jesus. Just a carpenter. Just someone who said yes. Just someone who allowed God to get him over his fears. What are your fears that are holding you at Christmas time when we're singing jingle bells and Hark the Herald Angels sing? What are your fears? There was this one, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but there was this one, where is it? little Christmas carol I found. And she's gone now. But I'm I'm not going to preach it, but the last guy we encountered were the shepherds out in Luke chapter 2. And it says that an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, salvation has come. He says, do not be afraid. He speaks those same words again to them. And they go on this journey of seeking out God. Why? Because of the overwhelming nature of his presence and his power in their lives. And I think one of the greatest journeys on our lives that we need courage for is to go after God. See, these guys, I love the end of it. When the angels had left them, verse 15, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And I don't know where you're at with God. And I don't know what your journey is, your pursuit, or what you're after when it comes to God. But I know there's this, that when you see something of him, you'll want to go after him. But it's going to take courage. Because it's going to be overwhelming, because his greatness is that great. His kindness is that great. I'm sitting with a man from England who's never done church in his life. He still can't get, he still finds it easier to believe I'm a plasterer than a pastor because in his world, that's not a thing. In his world, if I was a pastor, I'd have a dog tag on. I wasn't laughing. There was no smiling. There definitely was no dancing. And um, we weren't having fun together. But you get to speak to someone about God. He says, I'm not sure that's possible. And then a word from heaven comes. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Let me tell you, every single person in this room and every single person on this earth fears. Every time God asks me to do something, there's a voice of fear that rises up. Pray for this person. Mm, what if it doesn't go well and they don't like me so much? Now, I didn't ask your feelings about it. I asked you to do something. Love your wife. Sacrifice for your family. Pray. Like Zechariah prayed for year, decade, after decade, after decade, and trusted God, and God in the last moment broken with the most glorious gift. John the Baptist, his son, and the Spirit of God begins to move. As we navigate Christmas this Christmas, I just wanted to leave this word with you. Do not fear. For Zachariah, I believe he would have feared invisibility. God, I'm praying. Do you even hear? Do you even see? What about Mary? I'm not worthy of much. If I could just have a husband, maybe a child. And God says, the king of kings is coming into your womb. I made you worthy. What about Joseph? I got... I can't do this. I don't want a complicated life. I, I just want something simple. You know, God says, do not fear. You're going to get to name Jesus. What about the shepherds? Just shepherds out in the field. Now, why don't you go become forever part of a gospel story and everywhere you go in the nativity scenes, you see the shepherds standing there. Why? Because they got over their fear. I want to ask us and challenge us and provoke us. At this time, Jesus didn't come so you could know him as Jesus meek and mild. He came so you could know him as king. And if you don't know the backstory to something of the design and, and, and Kanye West writing this, this album that's become number one in America called Jesus is King. Where this rapper and man known for many things but not necessarily Jesus worship has written an album because he's encountered God. And I haven't had the privilege to sit with him but I have no reason to doubt That God hasn't encountered him and is doing something magnificent and getting his glory through the story. If we don't think that's possible, I want to tell you, the gospel narrative isn't possible. If God couldn't whip one man and engage one man to move a movement so that people could see him across the world, I don't think the gospel story is possible. But if the gospel story is real, then this is easy. Jesus is king. Number one selling album in America. Why? Because he is, and he is glorious. And if we, the church, would trust him, if we, the church, would hold on to him, if we, the church, would say, I see it all. My fear is raging right now. And it's such a bad and small analogy to talk about a mountain slope. But for me, it was real. To be honest, I don't like heights. Don't tell anyone. I don't like heights. I'm in that gondola just swinging in the wind. My mates are talking. I'm like, I want to get out of here. I
1: want to get out of here.
0: But I knew that I knew that the end of it, it would be worth it. And I'm asking you to get an end game perspective. And the only way you do that is when you look into his eyes. And this Christmas, look into his eyes. See him. Can we stand together? Bunty, could I actually maybe just you on a guitar? I'm going to ask Bunty just to sing that, oh, to be like you. This Christmas, can I ask you to go on a journey? Maybe saying, Mark, I don't have leave. I'm not asking for that kind of journey. I'm asking you to pursue God. It's going to look like a slope that will take you places that might be complicated. It's going to demand some things of you. It might look like a slope where you're saying, maybe like me, I'm not worthy to come close to God. You don't know what I've done this year. I don't know what you did this year, but you don't know what I did this year. doesn't matter. There's Jesus. There's his grace and his glory and his abundance and his kindness and his faithfulness. Maybe you're saying, like Zechariah, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've trusted. And I haven't seen it. It's great for Zechariah. It's great for you, Mark. You get to go on Hawaii with holiday with your mates. I want to tell you, God is here. He came in the form and the humble way he did. Touching the dirt of a manger and that environment to put a precedent in place that our God's not scared of dirt that our God's not scared of mess, there can be donkeys there can be cows there can be all around the king of kings came there maybe saying to you today stop hiding in your mess and invite me in I am good I am kind I love you I've got plans for you. I've got places I want you to see. I want to go with you. Do not fear.